Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, um, I do, as I was saying earlier, thank you, Lord, that we live in a, a time, a day and age that we have technology, Lord, where we can still get the message, uh, the gospel message, your scripture, your word out, Lord, to the body, to the church, God, and that we can do it in a safe way, Lord. Um, I pray for the future. I don't know what the future holds, Lord. Um, but I do pray that we get to come back together soon, Lord, that we get to serve one each other, love one another, Lord, and, and corporately worship together. I thank you that the body hasn't stopped being the body through this time, that we're seeing um, members of our, our body serving other members within the body, Lord, and that's what you have called us to do. That's the, that's the calling that you have given the church, that we would minister and serve one another, Lord. And I pray as we go over this passage, this important passage of the church, Lord, that we are encouraged, Lord, um, to make the church a priority within our life, God. So be with us this morning. I just pray for every single person that's out there. In your son's name, amen. As I said, I think this is one of the most important passages in all of scripture on the doctrine of the church. In particularly, how the church is called to function faithfully and how the church really is called to grow. Listen, I believe if the church functions faithfully following God's plan on how to do church, I believe it will grow. And what do I mean by grow? I think it's important that we define that word grow. In this passage, Paul actually defines it. He uses an analogy or a metaphor as the church being a human body or a human growing from infancy to maturity. Therefore, growing in this passage, and when I talk about growing, is not necessarily size or numbers, but more growing in maturity or growing into a deeper relationship with the Lord. So there's two questions I think this passage answers, and here are the two questions that I think get answered in this passage. How does a church grow into a mature church, a mature body, and what does a mature church look like? So there's three points of the sermon this morning, uh, the means of growth, the marks of growth, and the beauty of growth. The means of growth, the marks of growth, and the beauty of growth. So let's start with the means of growth, and it's pretty simple. simple. The body is to serve one another. It's to minister to one another. It's to disciple one another. Look at verse 11. Christ gave the church, we went over this two weeks or three weeks ago, Christ gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers, the shepherd and teachers, or the shepherd teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Right? The pastor's task, in other words, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Some translations, you might have a translation that says to prepare the saints, which is a good translation. The Greek word equip means to put right or make complete. It actually was used as a medical term for resetting a broken bone to put in, into its right place. The pastor's uh, task, in other words, then is to equip the saints. And how does he do this? Well, there's two main ways that the pastor is to equip the saints for works of ministry. And those two main ways are praying and teaching. Praying and teaching. Those are the two most important jobs of a pastor. I want you to see how important, actually, praying and teaching is for, for church leadership in Scripture, um, for growing the church. If you would, 
Keep your finger on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Normally I hear the Bibles turning, but I don't this morning. I am longing for that sound again. Thank you for the two people that are out there. <laughs> Ephesians, or, uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. I'm hoping you guys are all there. It says this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, and just so you know, the Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews. This is the first church, and there was a combination of Jews from all over the world, those that spoke primarily Greek, and those that spoke Hebrew that were from Israel. There was a complaint by the Hellenists, that's a Greek-speaking Jew, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, again, that's the apostles, the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, now listen to this, this is super important. This is what the apostles said. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. I just want you to think about that for a second. We're talking about serving and taking care of widows here. The apostles say it is not right That we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. But look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Just so you know, this is good leadership here. They delegated off this task to very capable men because it was an important task. Look at verse 4. But we, this is the church leaders, the apostles, but we will devote ourselves to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. The apostles were devoting themselves to two things, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's reading the word. That's teaching the word. That's preaching God's word to the church. Prayer and the ministry of the word are the two highest priorities of church leaders. The apostles modeled this in the pastor slash teacher, the pastor teacher, or as we have seen, the elder and overseer, those are all the same office, are to teach and pray. That is to be their highest priority to equip the saints. Verse 12, to equip the saints. And who are the saints? It's you. It's the body, those that are saved, a part of a local church, a part of Country Oaks. The saints is the Greek word uh, hagios, which means holy ones refers to all Christians, holy ones, not because Christians are sinless or are holy within their, in themselves, but because Christ has justified them or Christ has justified us and has set us apart and has declared us righteous. The saints are those who Paul wrote this letter to. In Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints, that's who he's writing to, to the saints who are in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. Right? It's the church. Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers as gifts, verse 12, to equip the saints. That's the body. That's you for the work of ministry. That's your job. That's your calling. The saints are the ones who are called to do the work of ministry. What's that? Work of ministry. Work, that word work in Greek is... Um, ergon, um, ergon, which just means a task or work or put forth energy. Ministry is 
daikonais, daikonais, which means to serve. Or here's just a definition, to render assistance or help by performing certain duties, often a humble or menial in nature, to serve, to render service, to help. It could be translated work of service, right? The church, the members of the church, the body, the people, which is the church, are called to work hard in serving one another, in ministering one another, in discipling one another. Work of ministry. That's not just the pastor's job. That's what this passage is saying. In fact, my calling as a pastor and all the elders, overseers, and pastors, our, our calling is to equip you to do the work of ministry. It goes back to Acts 6. The leaders right, made preaching and teaching and praying a priority to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So side note, and I think this is important because I get a lot of questions about this. It's why I preach to Christians on Sunday morning. I preach to Christians. My, my message is always geared to the body, to those that are saved. And keeping in the back of my mind that there are many that, that might be here that aren't Christians, and so I try to share the gospel as often as I can. But my goal is to preach to Christians to equip the saints, to equip country oaks. My main calling is to teach Christians, to preach to Christians, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And who are the saints called to minister? Who are they called to serve? We'll look at verse 12 again. It says this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You are called to serve the church, right? the body of Christ. Now I remind you, it's been a little while, but remind you of the context of this passage. Jesus was victorious, and in his victory as he ascended on high, he gave gifts. He gave you an individual, every individual uh, person within the church, he gave them a gift, those that are saved. And it was a costly gift. Jesus won it in his victory. Look at verse 7, it says this, grace was given to each one of us, every single person that's saved in Country Oaks and in this local body has a gift. It's given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ has given you a gift to minister, to, to serve the body. In fact, 1 Peter 4.10 says that each, that's each person, as each has received a gift, a Christian, every one of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another. It's a command called to use our gift to serve one another within the body in first corinthians 12 7 to each is given the context of this is spiritual gifts to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good when you were saved god graciously gave you a spiritual gift that's needed within the local church that's needed here at country oaks which leads to a question I've asked this question before, and I'm going to ask it again as we talk about our duty to serve one another. How can you minister to one another if you're not involved in the church? How can you minister to one another if you're not involved in the church? And the answer is you can't. You can't. Side note, I hope one of the things that we've been learning at this social distancing, this stay-at-home order, whatever you want to call it, I hope one of the things we our learning is just how busy we truly are. I hope we're learning maybe that some of us, that our priorities may be out of order. Right? And I, I don't have anyone in mind, and 
there's no one here, so if you're listening, I have no idea who's listening, so I, specific, I can truly say this, there's, I'm not looking at anyone right now. There could be no one listening for all I know. It kills me, as I, it just seems like things are taking a priority of the church all the time. Sports seems to always be taken as a higher priority than church. You see people missing Awana, Bible studies, just completely gone because of, of sports, and um, they're starting to play uh, youth sports on Sunday mornings even. And I see parents more committed to youth sports than the church, more committed to their child's education than to the church. What do you think that teaches our children? Look, there's a, there's a place for these things. I was a basketball player, and basketball had a big part of my life. It taught me a lot of things. And I, I'll say this, this is not in my notes. I'm thankful that my parents always made church a priority, though. Always. And taught me to make church a priority. Again, I'm not talking to anyone specifically. That's between you and God, where you're at in this. But I hope this stay at home does bring a longing to come back together so we can serve each other. That, that maybe, maybe in our lives before this, this virus came, we made priorities of things that shouldn't be priorities. And the church has taken a back seat to things. But the Bible is clear. We are called to be intimately connected to a local body. To grow and to serve one another. In fact, that's what we'd like to see. We'd like to see us worship, serve, and grow together. Let me read verse 11 and 12 again. It says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the works of Work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. When you put this all together, the pastor teacher, he teaches, he teaches and prays to equip the saints so that the saints do the works of ministry. The body serving one another, ministering to one another, discipling one another, not just the pastor doing that. I just want to read two commentaries on this passage because it's such an important two verses when it comes to Scripture. Kent Hughes writes this. This is a watershed text for the doctrine of the church. It really is. Right? For the function, how the church is supposed to function. This is a watershed text. It, it effectively eliminates the traditional model of the, the local church as a pyramid with the pastor perched on its pinnacle like a little pope in his own church while the laity are arranged beneath him in ranks of inferiority. The biblical model is the body of Christ in which those in pastoral roles prepare God's people for the works of ministry. Benjamin Merkel writes this, This passage strongly supports the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, which teaches that there is no special status of priest among Christians. All are called as priests to serve God. The professionalization of the ministry, however, threatens this important doctrinal commitment. There is often the feeling that the paid staff, the professionals, should do the work of ministry and the laity should be served by them. Paul's and God's vision for the church is different. Leaders, right, elders, the leaders of the church equip the church to carry out the work of ministry effectively. My job is to preach, teach, and pray to equip you, 
Your job is to do the work of ministry. And when this happens, when the church functions faithfully and properly, it will grow. It will grow. That's the means of growth. I want to look at the marks of growth. What do I mean by growth? You know, in our house, and I think this is pretty popular now, we have this oversized ruler that we have on the wall to measure how tall our kids are getting. And we mark them every six months to see how much they've grown. And every time I look at that, that ruler, I look at the six-foot mark. I just think, August is going to be there one day. And, and when he gets close to six foot, my guess is that's where he's going to be fully grown or mature. What are the marks of maturity for a church? What does a mature church look like, a fully grown church spiritually? Well, look at verse 11 again. It says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we have attained. Attain what? Well, Paul's about to give us five marks of a mature church. Five marks of a mature church. This is the first mark. First mark of a mature church is unity. Look at verse 13. It's unity. Until we have all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity is a mark of a mature church. A church that's grown and growing. Right? Unity. Unity in two things, he says. The faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. These two things, I want to be clear, are intimately connected. Our faith is in the knowledge of the Son of God. Therefore, biblical unity is founded, it starts, it grows from here, but it starts on objective truth claims about Jesus. Knowledge of Jesus. And this should be obvious, right? I mean, think about it. When you were brought into the unity of the church, when you were saved, you heard the gospel message which is news, good news. It's truth claims about Jesus, and you believed it. It's our belief, our faith in Jesus Christ that unites us as a body. Again, this should be obvious, but it isn't. Right? Not in our culture. Not in our postmodern culture that denies objective truth claims. Therefore, our culture says something radically different, and it's creeping its way into the church Something radically different than verse 13. Our culture says unity happens when we lay down our convictions. Unity happens when we lay down our truth claims, our religious dogmas, our doctrine, our theology for the sake of unity and love. And you pay close attention, you'll see this everywhere. In fact, this Easter I saw it. I was watching the news Monday, the day after Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, and Joel Olstein's church had Mariah Carey on for some reason. And this is what she said. I just wrote it down word for word. We need to set aside our differences and this Easter come together for fellowship or for unity. No matter what our views, no matter what our beliefs. In other words, we need to lay down our convictions for unity, which is very unbiblical. We should never lay down our convictions about Christ for unity or for anything for that matter. Our unity, true biblical unity, is founded on our convictions about Christ, on our beliefs about Christ, on our knowledge of Christ. Therefore, the first mark of a mature church is unity in the faith, core beliefs, and the knowledge of the Son of God. 
Second mark of a mature church is Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Look at the end of verse 13. To mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. To mature manhood. It's talking about maturity. That word mature in Greek is teleon, which literally means having reached its end. Having reached its end. Having reached maturity, in other words. It's actually, this word was used to describe an animal sacrifice, one that is perfect, without spot or blemish. When it relates to a person, teleon means a fully grown, mature man, as opposed to a child or infant. So what does, a, what does it mean to be a mature Christian or spiritually mature? Look at verse 13 again. To, a, to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Maturity, in other words, is being like Christ. Right? That's the goal. That's the end. The end is Christ-likeness. I don't know if you know this, but Christ-likeness is actually one of the main reasons you were saved. Right? To glorify Christ by imitating Christ, by being like him, by imaging him. In fact, Romans eight twenty nine says this, For those whom he foreknown or, or loved from eternity past, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We are called to image Christ. Therefore, Christ's likeness is a mark of maturity. The third mark of a mature church is sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Look at verse, well, verse 13. Paul is telling us what it means to be mature. But in verse 14, Paul actually tells us what it means to be immature. It gives you the contrast. Literally, an infant in the faith. Look at verse 14. It says this. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness or craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right? Paul actually changes the analogy here from a growing person to a boat in a storm, right? Getting tossed from by waves and winds to and fro. Right? An immature Christian or an immature church, in other words, gets tossed back and forth from one back doctrine to another, one uh, trend to another trend. And the Bible is actually pretty consistent about this. Immaturity. And a lack of biblical understanding or sound doctrine are synonymous. In fact, listen to Hebrews 5.11. It says this. And this we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, you should know enough to be teaching right now. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of, oracles of God. In other words, the Bible basics. Right? You need milk. And who drinks milk? Infants, babies. Not solid f f food, a mature person. Verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their power, powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, a mature person are, are those that know the Bible well or are growing in their knowledge of the Bible and seeking to understand Scripture better and then applying it to their lives. Paul says something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people. In other words, mature. 
but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. This is why deep teaching is so important in the context of the church. It grows the church. It's a means of growth. Right? Listen to Ephesians 5.25. It says this, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. That's, that's grow her. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Like preaching God's word and teaching God's word sanctifies the church. Right? It grows the church. Therefore, a mark of a mature church is sound doctrine. And a mark of an immature church is a church that does not take teaching and doctrine seriously. A church that's tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Which leads to a fourth mark of a growing church, and that's truth living. Truth living. Look at verse 15, rather. There's a contrast here, rather. Right? Rather than weak in the doctrine, rather than being immature as a church, rather speaking the truth in love. It's one of our favorite quotes at Country Oaks, and it's a quote that's often quoted within the church. I've always said that truth without love is harsh, but love without truth isn't love. Truth without love is harsh, but love without truth isn't love. We are called to do both. Right, truth, deep biblical truths, and love. Speak truth in love. And what's interesting is that phrase, speaking the truth, is actually one word in Greek, um, which means to communicate truth or to communicate the truth. But, but this word is a participle, which doesn't translate well into English. It literally means truthing truthing in love. It carries the idea of not only speaking the truth, but doing it, right? Living the truth. Rather, truthing in love is a mark of a mature church. Not only proclaiming truth, and the church needs to proclaim truth. We need to be truth proclaimers. That's what it means to share the gospel. It's good news. It's truth. We go and proclaim the truth, but also living what you proclaim in love. We speak truth in love, and we live the truth in love. And that's hard. It's hard to do, to do both. Speak truth in love is hard. But that's our calling, and that's a sign of maturity. It's a mark of maturity. These are the four marks of a growing, mature church. The first mark is unity. The second mark is Christ-likeness. The third mark is sound doctrine. And the fourth mark is truthing, truthing in love, living out the truth, speaking and living it in love. Listen, when a church does church God's way, when pastors equip the saints by praying and teaching for the work of ministry, and, and the body is the one ministering to each other, the church will grow, and that growth is beautiful. Which leads us to the third point. The beauty of growth. The beauty of growth. Look at the second part of verse 15. It says this. We are to grow up. It's maturity right there. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When the body is functioning properly, when each part, every single person that is a part of the body is working properly, it is beautiful. It looks like Christ. It displays Christ. It's the body of Christ here on earth. It displays unity, verse 16, for for whom the whole body joined and, and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. It displays love. The second part of verse 16, when, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Listen, when the body is functioning, functioning properly, it's attractive. It's attractive. So here's the deal. I believe when the body of the church is functioning properly, the way God intended it, it, it both will grow in maturity but I also believe often it will grow in numbers, in size, because the church becomes attractive. In fact, John thirteen thirty five says this, by, by this all people will know that you are my disciples when you have love for one another. Look at verse 16 again, it says this, when each part is working properly, functioning in the way it's supposed to be functioning, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love becomes a testimony to the community i've heard a pastor once say work on the depth of your ministry as a pastor as a pastor talking to to me as a pastor work on the depth of your ministry and god will provide the breadth of your ministry work on the depth of your ministry and god will provide the breadth of your ministry right my goal has always been here at country oaks even when i was with the youth you know, it's the, the director of student ministries here, and I know that's Zach's goal. It's just to go deep. Go deep in teaching. Go deep in doctrine. Go deep in discipleship and discipling one another. Go deep in serving one another. Go deep in, in loving one another so that people from the outside, when they see us, when they look in, they see an attractive church, a beautiful church. I just want to end this sermon, actually, with a with a story that I think illustrates this pretty well. Before uh, Pastor Brent stepped down um, as a senior pastor and preaching pastor here at Country Oaks, I was really feeling the call to a preaching position. I never thought it would be here at Country Oaks, and I'm thankful it is, and I am blessed to be here, and I don't want to go anywhere. But at that moment, it just looked like um, I was getting called to a different church, and so I sent out a few resumes just because I'd, I've never done that before. I've never gone through the process. And uh, there was one church in South Dakota, of all places, um, in a town smaller than Tehachapi, in a church that was larger than Country Oaks, that reached out to me. And I, I talked to one of the leaders on their um, pulpit committee, and he gave me the history of this church. Uh, many of the, the congregation were saved at this church, um, grew up spiritually at this church and and it seemed like from what i was talking with them a very mature church it just came across that way they've had one pastor in their history that um, for years taught deeply and preached deeply 
and was a really good teacher, they said, and he was um, retiring, and that's why they were looking uh, for a new new pastor, and he already left and was somewhere else. I just wanted, I did the math on this church, ratio-wise, if this church, right, for the size of the congregation to the size of the town, was in Bakersfield, where there's 300,000 people, this church would be well over 11,000 members. That's the ratio. And this guy that I was talking to told me that the, the church leadership really wanted a man that would be more focused on outreach than um, the man that retired as the pastor. We had a good conversation about that, um, but I, I used this passage, and I just tried to encourage the person I was talking to to get a man, find a person that will equip the saints with sound, deep teaching. And the church will outreach. The saints will do the work of ministry. Take the church deep, and it will grow. And I believe that's what happened to this church. If you just look at the history, I was trying to remind them. Right? The church, take the church deep, and it will grow. Not just in maturity, but I also believe in size. I also believe in outreach. A mature church is an attractive church, and a mature church will be a church of conviction, and the body will have a conviction to go and reach the community with the gospel. And that's always been my goal here at Country Oaks, is to take us deep, including myself, and study to build a strong conviction about sharing the gospel to our community. And I see it. I see people within our body that just can't help themselves but to go out and share the gospel and to minister to those within the church. And I pray as we bring people in that they see a loving, unified church that, that models and images Christ. With that all said, as I has uh, stated beforehand, before I pray, um, these passages that I've been studying in Ephesians as we were talking about the doctrine of the church just gives me a strong longing to get back together and to love one another and to serve one another. And I know that's happening. I know we have a helps ministry out right now. And I've heard um, stories of people just doing small acts of service that um, have become big uh, just in the testimony of love. And I am thankful for that, that the body is, is doing that. It's loving one another. And I pray that we continue to do that through this time. Um, I want to encourage you that uh, we will be back together. We will be back together. And we will be back together, I believe, soon. And it may not look um, like it did just before all this hit. It may take us a little time to get back to where we were. But we will get back together. And we will be corporately worshiping. And I am looking forward to that day. If you would, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I lift up the leaders of the church at Country Oaks, this church, Lord. I lift up um, all the elders, Lord. I pray for myself, Lord, that we do the task that we've been called to, and, and that is to equip the body, Lord, to equip the body for works of ministry, Lord. And I pray that you're with us, Lord, as we teach and pray, Lord. I pray that we are diligent in studying your scriptures, Lord, that we teach well because we put the time and effort into our lessons and into our sermons, into our counseling sessions, Lord, which is teaching your word, Lord, one-on-one. -on -one. God, I pray that we do that well and that the body is equipped, is equipped to go out and serve one another, Lord, and that Country Oaks grows, Lord, in its unity and its love for each other. 
And I also pray that we grow a conviction, Lord, that we don't need programs to, to get us out in the community, that we just have a conviction to go, to share with our neighbors, to share with our coworkers about the good news, Lord, because we are so excited, Lord. We can't hold it within. I pray that's true about our church, Lord, as we go deep and study about how amazing you are, Lord, that we just can't help but share about it. I see that, Lord. I see it in our people. And I thank you for that. I pray that we continue to do that, that our church grows in maturity, but, but grows also in size, or at least grows in its, in its conviction to go out and share about you, Lord, to, to, to Hatchapi, Lord. I also pray that you raise young men and women up in our, in our church, Lord, to have a conviction to go even further than Tehachapi, to go across cultural borders, Lord, to share the good news with people that have no good news, people groups that have never heard about your son. I pray that's true, Lord, that we grow just convictions, Lord, to share about you no matter what the cost, Lord. I also pray, Lord, for our church, God, that, that the body, those that are a part of Country Oaks, make the local church a priority. Lord, as we have got everything stripped away from us with this, with this virus and, and the separation, Lord, I pray that we spend some time looking at our life before this virus hit and go, what were we, were we making a priority for, for our families, for us individually, for our children? And I pray that we see the church as a high priority because it is a high priority in your word. Lord, help us have a conviction about being involved and serving the local body with the local fellowship of believers, Lord. And God, lastly, I pray that you just keep building a, a, a desire, Lord, to come back together and to worship corporately, to hear each other sing together your, your praises, to read the word together, to hear your word proclaimed together, Lord. God, I thank you again for the technology we have, Lord, but I pray that we long to be together as the body of Christ. In your son's name, amen.